Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Janet, thanks uh, very much indeed. Uh, As we sit, and uh, do keep your Bibles open, but as we sit, let me pray for us now. We've sung, Heavenly Father, that um, uh, we would be yours alone, that you would use our life that has been ransomed by the Lord Jesus in any way you choose. And uh, that is an aspiration that we want in our best moments. And we pray then that um, you would very much direct us to live wholehearted, sold out lives for the Lord Jesus. Direct us to live that way through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a, a terrific experience when you, when you feel alive. You know, when you're not just living, you're not just existing, not just kind of getting through the day, but when you feel life coursing through your veins, when all your senses seem to be heightened, when you feel a joy, that sense of joy and amazement, when, when life feels good, it's the feeling you have when, when you first fall in love or when your first child is born, or or when you see a wonderful sight in creation. We were asked earlier, what's the the greatest thing in creation? You know, for me, it's it's skiing, Uh, the sun is shining, there's a blue sky, the fresh alpine air, and the stunning, spectacular panorama of the Alps. It makes me feel alive. Now look, whatever it is for you, it's a wonderful experience. And it's how the Apostle Paul felt as he wrote this letter, at this point in the letter, He writes in in verse eight, now we really live. I feel alive, really alive. And in verse nine, he speaks of all the joy he has. Now, I reckon that's something everyone wants. I know that much of our life is, you know, kind of humdrum and ordinary. But I reckon most people kind of want that feeling of, of feeling alive. So discovering how we get it is really worth our time. And that's partly what we're going to be doing this morning. In short, it's tied up with what we really think really matters, what we really live for. 
To understand Paul's experience here, and indeed how we might have it, uh, we need to retrace our steps through the past few weeks. If you've not been here, we've been looking at the, uh, this letter of 1 Thessalonians. We started in Acts chapter 17, which kind of gives us the backstory to this letter and to the church in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17, I won't go there now, but uh, you, those of you who've been here will remember uh, that uh, Paul and Silas arrived in Thessalonica And for three consecutive weeks, they went into the synagogue, picked up the scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. And then Paul explained and reasoned from the scriptures that the Christ would have to suffer, die and rise again. And then he tried to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ promised in the Old Testament who would suffer, die and rise again. And as he did that wonderfully, people became Christians. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, people from all social backgrounds. This is all in Acts chapter 17. They turned to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. It was a fantastic response. And so a church was planted there in Thessalonica. But all was not good news. Some of the Jews in the city were livid. See, Paul had walked into their synagogue, opened their scriptures, and then persuaded their people to follow Jesus. And so full of jealousy, they had it in for Paul and Silas. And they rented a mob of hoodlums to duff up Paul. Paul escaped and fled the city, all in Acts chapter 17. But it meant he had to leave the the Thessalonian Christians, young baby Christians. He had to leave them at the mercy of those who were opposed to the gospel, those who were so jealous of the gospel. Well, last week in chapter 2, verse 17, we saw that Paul made every effort to get back to see the Thessalonians. He wanted to see they're okay. He wanted to keep them going in the Christian faith. But chapter 2, verse 18, he was stopped from getting back to Thessalonica. And so do you remember chapter 3, verse 2 last week? He sent Timothy there to strengthen and encourage the Christians. And as we saw last week, Paul went to such lengths. He kept trying to go back. And when he couldn't, he's prepared to send Timothy and be left alone in Athens. He went to such lengths because what really mattered to Paul was that the Thessalonians would keep going as Christians and so spend forever with Jesus in eternal bliss. Uh, We saw that in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The stakes were high, you see. Eternity was the prize. He was desperate to know that these Christians would keep going. Of course, when you have eternity in mind, you realize why it's so important. There are families uh, here in this church family who feel that most acutely right now. We've had a, a run of people who've been bereaved in this church family since the beginning of the year, more than usual. And as I've spoken to those who've been bereaved, one after another have told me what a difference it is to know that their loved one is now with Jesus. See, see things from eternal perspective and, and you begin to realise that's the thing that matters most of all. Our news of Billy Graham's death that we've mentioned a couple of times already has resulted in one of his most famous quotes being shared widely on social media. In fact, it was Paul that showed it to me. Adapting the words of D.L. Moody, Billy Graham said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's the difference the Christian gospel makes in death. It's not the end. Oh, it's still terribly hard, and we'll read about this in chapter four. It's still hard. We still grieve, but it's not the end. To die in Christ is to be more alive than ever, and we should want that for everyone. Paul did. 
That's what this is all about. And so having sent Timothy to see the Thessalonians, to make sure they would keep going as Christians, to strengthen and encourage them, it says in chapter 3, verse 2. He sent Timothy, but with no form of modern communication available, no social media, no WhatsApp group, no Facebook, no text, not even a good old-fashioned telephone, not even a really old-fashioned telegram. Paul had no idea what news Timothy might return with about the Thessalonians. Indeed, Paul feared the worse. Chapter 3, verse 5, afraid that Satan might have tempted the Thessalonians to give up the Christian life. Paul was beside himself, fearing they might not make it to the heavenly new creation. But, verse 6, but, it's a great but, But, verse 6, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. It's a wonderful moment. Paul was so concerned for these Thessalonian Christians, so desperate to know that the opposition hadn't got to them, that they hadn't given up on the Christian life, so that when Timothy arrived back to say, they're still going as Christians, he had this explosion of overwhelming joy. It it left him feeling alive, verse 8. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Do you see, it's the things that really matter to us that make us feel alive. If our career is really important to us, then we'll find ourselves on cloud nine when we get a promotion. If sport is really important to us, then we'll find ourselves elated when our team win. As a Leeds United supporter, I don't know much about that feeling. If our family really matters to us, When they're doing well, especially when we've been really concerned for them, we'll be ecstatic. One of the first uh, questions that we ask people at the Christianity Explored course is, what's the best news you've ever heard? Someone answered by telling us of a member of their family being in a country far away where there'd been a huge natural disaster. It was on the news. They had no news, though, about their loved one in this area. They had no idea how they were, whether they were dead or alive. And then after days of worry and sleepless nights, a phone call came. They were safe and well. It was the best news they'd ever heard. I'm not surprised. See, it's the things that really matter to us that bring us the greatest joys. And that's how Paul felt when he knew that the Thessalonian Christians were still following Jesus. And I reckon that is a huge challenge to us. Indeed, I think it's a powerful diagnostic tool, if I can use that phrase, to tell us what we really care about. How do you feel when you've just heard that someone's become a Christian? Excited? Or doesn't it bother you that much? That really tells us what we think matters, doesn't it? And what about when you get news that people are keeping going as Christians, even when they've had a really hard time, they're still going on. Do you find yourself thrilled? Do you feel that excitement running through your body? Do you, make, do you feel alive or, or are you oh, not really bothered either way? Look, if we have an eternal perspective as we saw last week, if people being saved and with Jesus forever, if that really matters to us, then we'll do all we can to tell people about Jesus and make personal sacrifices to help them to keep going as Christians. That's what we saw last week. And... We will be overjoyed whenever we hear that they are still going as Christians. That's what we see this week in Paul. It's a challenge, but it's also a great encouragement. When I give myself to gospel ministry, and by the way, I don't just mean full-time paid gospel ministry you know, for people like me that do it full-time. 
I mean by gospel ministry what all Christians should be about, that is telling people about Jesus and building one another up. If I give myself to gospel ministry, it will mean at times that I will have moments of great joy, of feeling alive. Whenever I hear that someone's become a Christian or I hear that people are still going as Christians, it will thrill me because it really matters for eternity as a matter of life and death. I uh, can think of a number of people uh, who in this church family have become Christians in the last few years and um, it's brilliant to see them become Christians then to see them growing as Christians and now they are bringing others to become Christians and they are teaching people how to go on in Christ and I tell you that because I have this wonderful position by which I mean physical position in the church here where I can look around during a service and see people just like that And it is brilliant to see again and again people who've become Christians and grown as Christians. It is the most wonderful thing. That's the thing that Paul is speaking about here. Paul was overjoyed when Timothy told him about the Thessalonians' faith and love, verse six. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Uh, Those two words, faith and love, are not uh, airy-fairy. They're quite defined here. Faith is faith in Jesus, as we'll see as we go through the passage. And love is love for other Christians. Now, Timothy came back and said, they're still going on as Christians, still following Jesus, and they love other Christians. And their love was specifically, in this passage, directed towards Paul. Look at the second half of verse 6. Timothy has just told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. You remember back in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul was longing, urging, couldn't do enough to try and get back to see the Thessalonians. He, he, he couldn't go there because he would have been killed, so, but he wanted to. And now Timothy has said, you know, they have that same feeling towards you, Paul. It's a great statement of of kind of mutual love between Christians, but it's much more than that. Most significantly, this reassured Paul that the opposition in Thessalonica had not turned the Thessalonians against Paul and against the gospel. They still had faith in Jesus, verse 7. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. Well, wonderful news then ringing in his ears. Timothy's come back and given him this great news and it's made him feel alive. And the next thing that Paul does then is is drop to his knees in prayer. And indeed, the rest of the chapter is about prayer, about Paul telling us uh, the things he prays for and then the actual prayer he prays. And when you think about it, of course that's the case. We pray about the things that really matter to us. Again, our prayer life is a very good um, indicator of uh, what really matters. Even people who are not praying people, maybe, maybe you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a praying person. Even people who are not praying people find themselves praying when they're faced with something that really matters that they can do nothing about. We pray about things that are really important to us. We pray about things that, uh, that we care about. And what we pray says a lot about us. And here in these verses that follow, Paul's prayers are all for and about the Thessalonian Christians. Five brief things, and I do mean brief things, 
that we learn about Paul's praying. Now the first thing, Paul is thankful in prayer, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Don't misunderstand this. Paul is full of joy. He's not just kind of saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm having a great day today. Thank you that I'm joyful. I mean, he is doing that, but he's doing something much more than that. He's thanking God because God is the reason that the Thessalonians have kept going. He's not just saying, thank you, God, that I feel joyful. He's saying, thank you, Lord, that the Thessalonians have kept going despite real opposition. Thank you because it's down to you, Lord. And so thank you that you've given me such joy and that you've kept them going. And I'm thrilled that they're still going as Christians. Again, it's a challenge. Are we thankful, praying Christians? We should be. We, as part of this church family, we have hundreds of reasons to be thankful every day. Just look around you. I know, don't do that because, you know, that's a very sort of, we're very British. We don't want to start looking into each other's eyes and give thanks to God for the person next to us. That's far too cringy for us. But, you know, just kind of look around you out of the corner of your eye. You have lots of reasons to be thankful, hundreds of them. If that's a bit too much for you to get your head around each day, then every day you can thank God for the people in your small group who are keeping on going with Jesus. Why have they kept going? God has kept them going. It should bring you joy. Thank you, Lord. Paul's thankful in prayer. Second, Paul is earnest in prayer, verse 10. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Again, we learn much from this prayer. Paul has just got news from the Thessalonians that they're still going as Christians. Why is he praying for them to have what's lacking supplied in their faith? See, as you read through this letter, you certainly don't get the impression that the church is a mess. Oh, read 1 Corinthians and you certainly find a church that's in a mess, but not this one. Oh, there are things they're not completely clear about. We're going to see that in chapter 4. But largely, they're doing well. Indeed, Paul will even describe them as a model church. Do you remember that, chapter 1, verse 7? They're a model church, and then he explains why they're a model church. They've stood up against opposition. They proclaim the gospel. They're serving the one true and living God, verse 9. They're eagerly waiting for Jesus to return, verse 10. This is all chapter 1. They're doing really well. Yet Paul wants to help them to grow as Christians, or as he puts it here in verse, chapter 3, verse 10, that he may supply what is lacking in their faith. The point is, even if we're standing firm as Christians, none of us have arrived. We need to be strengthened and encouraged. We all need to grow more. That's what Paul is praying for here. Again, it's a great challenge for us to be doing that for one another. I wonder if you're praying in your small group and for your small group members that we would grow in Christian discipleship. Will you pray that for Christchurch Forward? Do you have on your prayer diary, Christchurch Forward, what are you praying for us week in and week out? That we grow in discipleship, in growth, not just in numbers, but in depth? Note here too how Paul doesn't just pray for the faith of the Christians to be strengthened and then hope that in some way that's going to happen. No, he prays that he might be able to do that very thing. Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see, I'm going to pray for it, but I'm also going to work for it. 
And then having told us what he prays for in verse 10, what we find in verses 11, 12, and 13 is the prayer that he prays night and day for them. So we've seen Paul is thankful in prayer, Paul is, Paul is earnest in prayer. Third, Paul is persistent in prayer. So this is the prayer, verse 11. Paul prayed for the Lord to clear the way for him, to go to be able to see them in order to supply what is lacking in their faith. And I see Paul's persistence here because, do you remember last week, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he made every effort to see them. He tried again and again to go and see the Thessalonians. He was worried that in some way they might not keep on going. Every time he tried to get back to Thessalonica, though, his way was blocked Chapter 2, verse 18. But every time his way was blocked, he would not give in. Here he is asking the Lord, chapter 3, verse 11, to clear the way for him to go back. Persistence in prayer. I wonder if we don't see great things happening in the church in this land because we don't have this kind of dogged determination. And not least of all, in prayer. Lord, clear the way, make it possible. I want to see things happen in this land. Maybe Paul was that persistent in prayer because he knew he was in a spiritual battle. Do you remember again, chapter 2, verse 18, he says it was Satan who stopped him from going back to Thessalonica. So here, chapter 3, verse 11, Paul pleads with God, his God and Father, to clear the way, to kick Satan's obstacles out of the way. When you know it's not all down to you, boy, do you have to pray. He's thankful in prayer, he's earnest in prayer, he's persistent in prayer. Uh, Fourth, Paul is focused in prayer. Verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. There are two things Paul prays for here. And in fact, we see those two things being worked out in chapter four. I'll do this with you next week so you can remember. But you see, in verse 12, he prays for the Thessalonians to grow in love, both in love for each other and for everyone else. We'll see that worked out in chapter four. And in verse 13, he prays for them to be strengthened, to be holy for the rest of their days. And you'll see also in chapter four, this holiness is a key thing uh, that he talks about. Now, some years ago, I read this book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson. It's not the most thrilling title of a book, but I have to say it's one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, it is absolutely brilliant. As uh, What Carson does is he goes through the prayers of Paul in the New Testament, just like this one. And he says, we should learn to pray the way Paul prayed. They're there for us to learn to pray that way. And uh, this really shaped my prayer life. Uh, really wonderful book. And on this prayer... Uh, that we're looking at here, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Uh, Listen to how Don Carson describes Paul. Here is a Christian so committed to the well-being of other Christians, especially new Christians, that he's simply burning up inside to be with them, to help them, to nurture them, to feed them, to stabilize them, to establish an adequate foundation for them. Small wonder then that he devotes himself to praying for them when he finds he cannot visit them personally. Isn't that good? A few pages later, Carson writes this. Paul's prayer is the product of his passion for people. His unaffected fervency in prayer 
is not whipped up emotionalism, but the overflow of his love for brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That means if we're to improve our praying, we must strengthen our loving. Here then is Paul very focused in prayer, praying for them to grow in their love for one another and praying for them to be holy. And next week as we see that happening, it would be a wonderful thing if over the next weeks and months, we as a church family grew in love for one another and grew in deep holiness, not least of all sexually, which is what we're going to hit next week. Paul is thankful in prayer, earnest in prayer, persistent in prayer, focused in prayer. Fifth and lastly, he's motivated in prayer. Or maybe I should say, what motivates him to pray? And again, it comes in verse 13, right at the end there. He says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. There's his motivation for so much of what we're seeing, actually, not just prayer, but for so much of Paul's life. It comes from the thought of the return of Jesus Christ one day. Indeed, you can't read through 1 Thessalonians uh, without seeing that this is mentioned again and again. It comes at the end of every chapter. Now, of course, originally there were no chapter divisions, but it's brilliant the way it comes at the end of every chapter. Chapter 1, verse 10 speaks of the return of Christ. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we were looking at it last week, the return of Christ. We'll see it at the end of chapter 4 in a major chunk. We'll also see it mentioned at the end of chapter 5, and here it is at the end of chapter 3. The expected return of Christ motivates Paul in his living It drives him to tell people about Jesus and to work hard to ensure that people keep going as Christians because he wants them to be ready for when Jesus returns and be with him for all eternity. And it motivates and shapes his praying because there is nothing more important than people spending all eternity with Jesus Christ. Nothing. When we believe that, we will do everything we can to strengthen and encourage Christians as we saw last week. We will get down on our knees night and day to ask God to help Christians to grow in Christ, which is what we're seeing this week. And when we see people going on as Christians, it will bring us real joy. It will make us feel alive because there's nothing more important in life. Let's pray together. Well, let me pray this uh, very prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians uh, for us today. May you, Lord, make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And may you strengthen our hearts so that we'll be blameless and holy in the presence of yourself when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And this we pray for your glory and for our good, and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.